0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is September the 19th, 2022. I'm talking to you, as always, from San Francisco on top of the hill, looking out over the world. One of the entertaining amusing and i guess frustrating things about america is for all its power and privilege people here are very uncomfortable very awkward showing off that power and privilege it's a deeply aristocratic society without the formalities of aristocracy we've done a number of shows on this we did one recently with the historian jonathan darman on the personal crisis that transformed fdr into fdr uh his book um becoming FDR. The personal crisis that made a president is an attempt to democratize uh, FDR. But actually, I think in many ways, it points to the aristocratic virtues of FDR. And of course, that whole Roosevelt clan, other clans come to mind. We've got an upcoming show uh, in the next few weeks with John A. Farrell, who has a new controversial biography of Uh, Ted Kennedy out, but before the Roosevelts, or alongside the Roosevelts, and before the Kennedys, there was another dynasty in America, perhaps less well-known than the Kennedys, but nonetheless, in many ways, equally powerful. They are the Morgenthau's, and there's a new book out, a massive new book uh, by my guest, Andrew Mayer, Power privilege and the rise of an American dynasty. It's a remarkable achievement. I think it's going to be one of the major history books of the year. And I'm thrilled and honored that, uh, Andrew, my namesake is joining us from Brooklyn, New York. Andrew, congratulations on this absurdly fat book. How long did it take you?
1: Uh, thanks very much, Andrew. First of all. Yeah. Uh, it took me all told, uh, more than a decade. I did a few things in between, um, Started a journalism program here in New York City, uh, did a documentary film. Um, But overall, more than a decade of research and writing.
0: What drew you to this subject? Was it the idea of public service? You begin the book with a quote from Henry Morgenthau to his grandson, Robert Morgenthau. And I'm quoting, I had to wait until I was 55 to enter public service but you don't have to, and you shouldn't. It's a privilege. Is this a book about the virtues of power and privilege in some ways? It's a great
1: question, Andrew, because, um, and I actually debated quite a bit about putting the word privilege in the subtitle of the book. Um, It's an epic, it's over a thousand pages long. It's four generations across 150, 156 years of US and world history. But at heart, that's exactly what it is. And I really, really wrestled him. I said I, I, I wrote and researched for more than a decade. I probably spent, um, in part thanks to COVID, but uh, really in part thinking about what is the heart of the story of the Morgenthau's, really much of the last two years, thinking about getting that balance right in the subtitle. Morgenthau, I knew early on was gonna be the title. Um, some may have argued and wanted another title. Um, but the question of a dynasty, uh, that, as you said in your opening, they're not well known. Members of the uh, certain members of the, um, the various generations are extremely well known. Uh, and when I began uh, this rather long journey, I found much to my chagrin, there were Morgenthau's in Over a thousand history books written on the U.S. and various parts of world history, but there hadn't been a single volume that looked at all four. this. I look at four generations and it's really they rose to power, lost power in Germany, uh, power and wealth, came to America as luck would have it for me. Thank God. uh, 1866, just after the end of the Civil War, of course. So I skirt the Civil War. Thank God. but I deal with New York in the Gilded Age and New York coming together the Great Age of Consolidation. And that really is where the Morgenthau's were. They began with next to nothing in New York, actually a few blocks away from where I sit in Brooklyn. And by the second generation, it's the quote you mentioned, which is um, the epigraph to the entire book. There is the sense of we've made it. Through great through great deprivation, through a lot of hurdles, uh, one of my editors said it's almost like the rise of Henry Morgenthau Senior, who becomes a real estate baron, one of the big real estate moguls of of Manhattan and the Bronx. He says it's almost a Horatio Alger story because everything he tries, he wins, and he keeps growing and growing and growing. It wasn't quite that simple, um, as you you know, as those who uh, will read the book will find out. Um, but by the time it comes to Robert Morgenthau, um, who's born in 1919,
0: it is exactly
1: that. It is uh, a place of privilege. And, um, you know, obviously today, privilege means something different uh, than, it, than it meant when um, Henry Sr. spoke to his grandson, young Bob, about that. But the point was exactly that. It sounds cliche, it sounds corny, but the point is uh, you've been given a gift, you've been given independence. uh, And it was in that case, money. And you've gone to all the fancy, what we now call all the fancy schools. What are you gonna do with it? I had to wait because as I said, he had to overcome uh, a number of hurdles, some of which were um, uh, rather extreme. Um, But he made his millions and then he passed it on. Each generation also married well, I should say. But it's that sense of, okay, what are you going to do with privilege? So there is, at the heart of it, a sense that you have not only an obligation, but a privilege to do good to serve the public. And that's really one of the main themes that runs through uh, three of the Morgenthau generations, the the large part
0: of the, the 20th century. So it's Morgenthau, part one, part two, part three, when you think of parts of family stories, we... Think, of course, of the Corleone family and part one, two, three, The Godfather. Looking through your book, Andrew, and thinking about the original uh, Morgenthau coming to America, I thought of that wonderful scene in Godfather 2 where Vito Corleone comes sailing into New York Harbor, passes uh, passes under the Great Statue of Liberty and then enters America. For Henry Morgenthau, the first Morgenthau to come to America, what was coming to America like? I'm assuming it wasn't like Vito Corleone's arrival. Well, they
1: came actually in staggered uh, stages. Um, The patriarch of the family, Lazarus Morgenthau, had uh, grown up in the south of Germany, um, had been in a very orthodox family, left it early on, and he, Lazarus is this extraordinary character. When I began uh, researching the book, I had absolutely no idea. Very little is known about him today. And I thought- yeah, there's not, be... There isn't even a Wikipedia entry for well, him. Well, not yet, but there will be. <laughs> and he, um, maybe by the time we're done, Andrew, uh, he uh, is this larger in life character. And, um, you know, the internet, of course, is a curse. We all know that. We're not gonna debate it here, but for a historian, and especially someone who does investigative nonfiction, Um, I probably would have finished this book in, you know, three or four years if it had been written before the Internet. Uh, More and more of the old newspapers, including diaries, a lot of contemporaneous accounts, were becoming digitalized and put online. And even today, I'm sure I would find more. This is not only in English, but in German. Um, And so Lazarus was actually well known uh, across Germany and, and across much of Europe. He had these bizarre notions of. Well, there, well, there was no,
0: of course, uh, unified Germany in eighteen sixty-six. No,
1: no, it's a German state. It's exactly right.
0: And he. So which uh, which which German state was he from? Well, he was originally from the south, um, Bavaria. The Bavaria. Virginia, but then he moves.
1: He does something early on, which is extraordinary. He moves north, and he keeps going further and further. Up until he comes to Ludwigshafen and then Mannheim, he buys, he becomes a cigar baron. And at one point he had a number of uh, cigar factories and uh, hundreds of employees making obviously handmade cigars. And he buys the largest uh, mansion, right on the main square it's you know it's the it 's akin to buying something in Union Square in San Francisco uh, and saying i 've arrived i 've made it and of course, for a Jew from Bavaria, this was uh, an act of extreme hubris um, and he did a number of things while he was in Mannheim um, that later also uh, various generations continue. He reached out to the Catholics, he reached out to the Protestants, he built a bell for a cathedral he had this kind of great ecumenical sense. And he was also a showman. Uh, He was an inventor. And what I was saying is that he had these kind of outlandish notions, which seems silly now, about uh, pine needle cigars, about smokeless cigars. Do you know where I'm going? Um, And finding these ads initially in libraries and in archives, and then later in newspapers, I thought this must be a joke. But no, it was, he patented um, dozens of these kinds of inventions, he had a automatic uh, uh, stamp tongue liquor, something like that, to to uh, to um, uh, stamp uh, stamps for postage. He had all kinds of uh, hygienic inventions. Um, long story short, he loses it all. Um, Abraham Lincoln imposes tariffs on cigars and tobacco, uh, especially. Uh, those coming from Germany and uh, Lazarus and his brother were in San he were in business in San Francisco um, back wow. to you again Andrew. they were selling German cigars at very expensive uh, margins to the 49ers
0: and mm. apparently
1: they did quite well they opened up a shop in well, San I could Francisco. imagine there
0: was quite a quite a market for that yeah and they 18, even opened up in, of them. in San Francisco amongst yeah. the gold miners especially right. the ones who found gold. So, so he came, and then he left, and then Henry came back? Or, or, or no, came to,
1: no, he came together. He, uh, he,
0: he sent Lazarus
1: sent his three oldest kids ahead, and as I said, they landed right here at the foothold of Brooklyn, which was, uh, back to the Corleones, uh, a pretty grim neighborhood. Um, it was Irish and Italian. It was the latest of the arrivals, those, you know, the have-nots. Um, and just let your imagination run wild. In the local newspapers, I found it all. Uh, rats, vermin, cholera, that's where they started, in a little boarding house. Um, he had, Lazarus had money because he was able to sell that mansion in monheim Ma Um And we would even, uh, I was able to find the deed and the sale. And so he did have uh, some money. But from then on, he lived above his means. Um, there were, at one point, Uh, His darling wife gave birth um, to more than a dozen children, 14 kids in all, um, over 23 years. Uh, And his darling wife, Babette, would be long-suffering, needless to say. All the children went to public school in New York City. Uh, Henry, uh, who was right about the middle of this Mm -hmm. massive, uh, long brood, he excels in public school, does better than uh, any of his classmates, and goes to the City College of New York, which was then the sort of great ecumenical temple for state education. And he's doing extremely well when suddenly Papa Lazarus goes one step too far in those inventions, and the whole house of cards falls to the ground, and Lazarus is almost thrown in jail a uh, long, long Uh, story there with its own drama and Henry is forced to leave college and that sting stays with him uh forever was this uh,
0: if if you wrote a book becoming Henry Morgenthau uh was that the moment he became Henry Morgenthau like so many other kids when they have to leave college and, and get a work
1: Absolutely. And it was, uh, I wanted to
0: reproduce it in the
1: book, but uh, it it ended up just becoming too complicated. In the Library of Congress, first of all, the Morgenthau's, I found not only were they in thousands of books, you know, but often as footnotes or secondary or, you know, third tier characters, they also were the biggest pack rats. American history as a single family. I, I, I stand on that and I would love someone to dispute it and prove it. The Library of Congress has not thousands, millions of pieces of paper uh, from the Morgenthau's. The Franklin Delano Roosevelt Library in Hyde Park, you talked about at the top of the hour. Millions of paper of, of documents from uh, not only Henry Morgenthau Jr., um, but also Sr. and other Morgenthau's. Oddly enough, The DA, Robert Morgenthau, was the one who kept the least of his personal papers. He does have, I think, 16 filing cabinets um, that he left the city of New York full of his papers when he was DA. Um, So there's a massive paper trail. And one of the things I had to do was go through it. Well, uh, you might or might not be surprised that just what you were saying, I found, you know, that moment of, is this when he becomes Henry Morgenthau, Sr., I'm going to make something of myself moment. In the Library of Congress, you see as a young boy, this insistence of I'm going to be, I'm going to do my best. As I said, it's Horatio Aljo. And he's trying to learn English. And you'll see hundreds, literally hundreds of words, the same word written again and again and again in longhand cursive. He's trying to learn English. And then he has this incredible um, you know, sort of self-flagellation. I shouldn't sin. I shouldn't do this. He writes down everything, every penny he spent, every penny he kept, um, every girl he looked at or wanted to date. He classifies all the girls. Everything is systematic. And when he's forced out of college, that's exactly when he says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, you know, pull myself up and make it on my own. And it, the story then is, how does he do that? He ends up becoming, as I say, uh, really, the first real estate bundler, the first real estate syndicator in New York history,
0: and his his life is amazing. I mean, he's not just a successful businessman. He ends up as the uh, U.S. Secretary of the Treasury during the FDR administration. And um, no, that's
1: his son. Oh, so that's his. Yeah, son so yeah, that, yeah so that's
0: Henry Morgenthau Jr. So yeah, the, as
1: one of our as one of our kids said early on, the problem with this book, Dad, is there's too many Henrys. Yeah.
0: There are too many so, heroes. So There's so, Henry so have he you prepares, seen you? And junior. He's the one. He's the he's the one who prepare who who sort of no he 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 was uh, ambassador to the Ottoman Empire. So he had some life as a public servant as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He helps long uh, and he
0: helps elect Woodrow
1: Wilson. Um, I wonder if this man. book
0: um, did you ever flirt with the idea of Turning it into a novel, I did an interview with uh, Jean Hanf Korolec. She has a new novel out called The Late Comer. It's a kind of contemporary novel of a wealthy New York Jewish family about misery. But did you ever consider writing this as a novel as opposed to nonfiction?
1: Believe, believe me, Andrew, there were many times in the dark of night when I thought, why the hell didn't I write this as a novel? But I'm not a novelist. Um, and You know, a friend of mine uh, who's a fantastic uh, nonfiction writer, she calls it the inconvenience of fact. And you know this from your own work. It's like when you're up against the wall and you can't figure something out, but you've got a hunch and you keep going through, whether it's the archives or the diaries or interviews. And I did hundreds and hundreds of interviews for this book and you're piecing it together. Um, You know, I have uh, not only all the, all the Morgenthau and Roosevelt books behind me, but I also have a wall, like, you know, uh, carry in homeland where i'm trying to figure out and make connections that's the thrill of it when you can actually piece 17 different pieces of a mosaic together and see oh that's right the overall arch is power the overall arch is okay public service but how did one thing affect another how did a chance meeting a chance meeting in 1912 between senior the real estate guy, and young Franklin Delano Roosevelt in uh, in 1912. How did that affect not only his own son, Henry Jr.'s life and career, but also the course of American history? Um, that's the kind of thing that really motivates you when you're on a book for more than a decade.
0: Do you think that the the message of public service in the book that runs through each generation from... Henry, who represented the U.S. Uh, as an ambassador in the Ottomans, to his son Henry Jr., who worked in the F.D.R. administration, to above all else, there his grandson Robert Morgenthau, who is a very, uh, very influential uh, uh, American lawyer and D.A. in New York. Is is there an ethic of public service there, Andrew, in the book that someone oh, could, yeah. that we Americans in the 2020s sort of a little bit lost? dismount yeah, from everything absolutely. is that something we can learn from well i hope so uh it's not an authorized biography
1: it's not you know a lives of well, the you same. couldn't ask
0: you couldn't dig up henry jr or henry senior <laughs> or robert to get to get permission could you
1: well no robert i interviewed uh hundreds and hundreds of times uh and it was that's really was the, how the book started with uh, a first interview with him and it was only when did he
0: die? His, um oh he uh, just died his, a couple
1: years he just died a couple years ago so the joke right. is you know m- my editor says that well you know m- uh many people will think god that book came out fast um he right. died 10 days short of 100 um, yeah. in, t- in 2019 he died at 99 and uh no it's not authorized but uh trust me if robert morgan's wanted to put a stop to something in the city of New York, he could certainly put a stop to it. Uh, And And
0: in that obituary in the New York times described him as the, the bane uh, of mobsters, crooked politicians and corporate greed for you is the grandson. The real lesson here. Is he the realization of the Morgenthau ethic? Great question. Yeah,
1: I think that's fair to say, Um, you know, when I was going along Uh, and speaking to people early on and trying to figure out what this book might be about. Uh, It wasn't just a chronicle of uh, this extraordinary family that was sort of in the shadows. Um, A lot of people said to me, oh, it's a great idea for a book. Uh, He's a fantastic guy. And as you know, Andrew, very well, uh, fantastic guys, fantastic women, fantastic people don't always make for the best books. Uh, If someone has lived a great life uh and done nothing wrong well it could be a pretty boring book especially when it's a thousand pages um there's a lot of gray in here and there's a lot of uh in each generation as I mentioned with Lazarus um questions about um you know uh, who did what and when and with Robert Morgenthau the balance by far is on good uh but I spent several years looking deeply into um, his cases, some of not not only the most famous, um, like the, the murder of uh, John Lennon, Mark David Chapman, but also Central Park jogger. And that was a case where Morgenthau and the DA's office didn't do the right thing. Um, and as was told to me by one of his chief rivals, one of his chief critics said, it was only the likes of Robert Morgenthau who could make it right, who could turn around as I'm sure you know, turn around and reinvestigate that case. Um, and it is, uh, you showed a photo of Ed Koch. Ed Koch said two things to me. One, he said early, he said, you gotta understand the Morgenthau. I said, how do you look at the Morgenthau in the history of New York City and you know, America? He said, oh, it's very simple. We're, they are the closest thing we've got to royalty. Some people call them the Jewish Kennedys. I think that's over, overdone, but for, for someone, of Ed Koch's generation, that's um, that's how they saw the Morgenthau, the closest thing to royalty, and the D.A., as I said, you know, lived almost to hundred. He certainly understood stood that, um, and he didn't trade on it, and he didn't take it lightly. He tried to use it uh, to serve the city and the people that he loved. Now, there all is a that...
0: counter history, Andrew, of the Godfather. You know, counter history? Fictional... Uh, it's a fictional story, but let's say um, Michael Corleone had turned out as his father wanted to be a senator and all the rest of it, a prominent lawyer. They could have been the Morgenthau's. Is there a counter history of the Morgenthau's too? Could it have been a story that ended badly?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, And
1: in fact, if you flipped it uh, and if Lazarus were you know, some uh, Wolf of Wall Street character in the 21st mm. century, um, which, you know, those who read the book will learn. Uh, he was up to all kinds of shenanigans. Um, and as one son, would expect. Yeah, but some of them, some of them were more than just sort of frivolous. Uh, he was raising money. Uh, and much in the way that came to light, readers have said Bernie Madoff, he was preying on uh, mm. Rich, uh, rich Jewish would-be philanthropists t- and and taking their money, whether or not he was stealing it or not, uh, history will, history doesn't tell us. Um, but certainly the police came crashing down. So if Lazarus were out running around now, <laughs> at age twenty-five, on Wall Street, it would certainly would be a hell of a novel. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: You'd have to call um, it "Raising Lazarus," right? Yeah. On the Corleones,
1: it was something that the DA actually used to say all the time: is that when people asked him, including myself. Uh, you know, what happened to the mafia? He was uh, the U.S. attorney for New York under Bobby Kennedy when Bobby Kennedy was attorney general. And it was the first time they actually took on the mob. And they put dozens of mobsters behind bars. Um, And that's really sort of the background of the Godfather. And he would say, well, you know, today, really from the 1990s on, right up to this moment, yeah, there's big arrests now and then, but these are small time bookies. These are you know, maybe loan sharking. They're not running uh, New York City's central businesses as they were up until the 1960s and even through the 1980s, um, where you had the carting cases, the uh, carpenters and trade unions cases, construction. Um, So much of New York City was controlled by, as they call the five families. And Morgenthau liked to say, you know, you've seen that, evolution you're just talking about with the Corleones, you know Michael Corleone is a real is is based on a real character and you had a number of families whose children went to West Point whose children uh, went you know white shoe they became either lawyers they became uh, Wall Street um, men and they went clean they went white collar and he really um, liked seeing that evolution uh, he didn't necessarily take credit for it, he didn't take credit for much um, it's part of that sense of privilege. Um, but he certainly would say, you know, the mafia today isn't as big of a deal uh, and you'll see a natural evolution. And he would even pull it back and say, you know, Andrew, you sound like you come from overseas. Well, you know, Morgenthau's came from Germany, as we talked about. This is a land of immigrants. And he would include the Italians as well and was very wary of putting a broad brush and saying all Italians were mafia. And he fought against that. Um, so, You're going
0: to get this question on the book all the time, Andrew. I apologize in advance, but you can guess what it is about another German family that comes in. Donald Trump, of course, was very vocal over the Central Park Five. Did you ever talk to Morgenthau about Trump?
1: Yeah, I talked to him quite a bit about it. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about it is that even if Trump hadn't have been um, an improbable president, he would have been in the book. And because we were talking about Trump, um early uh in our interviews and uh as i said um uh, hundreds of interviews many many times i saw robert morgenthal um more than once um uh, he brought up trump uh at one point i was in the room when trump called uh he wasn't president yet of course they were not friends but they knew each other over several decades and um trump gave and was uh, involved with two of Morgenthau's most um, uh, favored um, uh, philanthropies, his charities, the Police the police Athletic League, known as PAL. Uh, Morgenthau brought him in, put him on the board, and he only resigned um, when he became president. It was something that Trump cared very much about. It was something that Morgenthau cared even more about. And the second philanthropy was his, uh, is his... Um, the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust, which is also known as the Holocaust Museum in New York, that Morgenthau basically founded and built. Um, And Trump gave money to that as well. Well, we thought it was Trump or he, Morgenthau thought it was Trump's money. We now know that it wasn't uh, his money. It was from the Trump Foundation. Uh, But they have this long history together um, and they got along.
0: Uh, And the father, did he know, did Fred Trump know them?
1: He knew Morganton knew Fred Trump, and moreover, he knows Trump's. Uh, he knew uh, Trump's sister, and he liked uh, the woman who's a federal judge. Um, uh, I think she's now semi-retired or retired. I um, guess the
0: Trumps are an alternative American dynasty about uh, power, privilege, and the rise of, of an American dynasty. Although it's a not a particularly encouraging narrative. Uh, let's let's end, um, Andrew. Um, a couple of. Brief questions. I know you've got a, a deadline, so I don't want to keep you too long. Um, we did a show about New York with Thomas Deje, another very good New York-based writer. Is uh, a new book out, New York, New York, New York. Is the the Morgenthau story also a story about New York itself as a city?
1: Absolutely. It's uh, it's uh, at its heart. It's a story about the history of New York through one family um, over uh, over. Uh, a century and a half, you know, and uh, uh, I was um, struck early about, uh, as I mentioned, Henry Morgenthau Sr.'s work in coming, you know, he, he's kicked out of college, he can't um, finish college, he never does, he goes to law school on his own dime, becomes a lawyer, works downtown, and then discovers real estate, and at that time, real estate in the, in the latter part of, of the 19th century was not uh, exactly a perceived market. It was something that uh, women or the least of the least dabbled in. And he saw its potential. And he also saw where the subway was going. And he followed it. Um, Jimmy Breslin has a great book on Damon Runnan. And Breslin, whom I was able to interview and meet, uh, he said, you know, Henry Morgenthau found out where the subway was, and that's how he made his millions. Well, in part, that's true. Um, He got the blueprint of the subway, and he saw that it was going straight north. And he also was friends with um, the owner of the New York Times. And he was the one who cobbled together this very strange triangular lot that becomes um, Times Square. Uh, th- that went through Morgenthau's hands and as did many of the landmarks of New York, from Wall Street to the Plaza Hotel through, uh, as I said, a great swath of Harlem and the Bronx. Henry Morgenthau senior built it all, much of which is still standing. So it's absolutely a New York uh, story. The DA, when we would walk around, would sit, would talk about, you know, that's where the horse carts used to go. That's how old he was. Most of his uh, friends, uh, when he was in his 80s, late 80s, and early 90s, their names were already on bridges and schools and avenues. Uh, this is a man who literally breathed uh, the city. The city's and, and
0: finally, it's a story of New York, but it's also in part, Andrew, in this final question. This is also a a story that you're bound up with. We all are, I guess. It's such an incredible family. But your background connects with the Morgenthals. How how did that work, or how does that work?
1: Well, not exactly. I mean, to be honest, um, I only knew about Henry Jr. Growing up, my father was an economist, taught at Stanford, and uh, we didn't exactly debate economics at the dinner table. But I certainly imbibed or... uh, through uh, uh, just the crosswinds, a little bit of economics. I nearly failed out of it in college. Uh, But the name Morgenthau was one I knew growing up because, um, you know, as we discussed, he was not only um, secretary of treasury, he's, I think, the longest serving cabinet member in U.S. history to this day, 12 years. Uh, Henry Morgenthau didn't graduate college, didn't graduate um, high school. He probably had undiagnosed severe dyslexia. But he was an incredible visionary. And at a time when America, as you know, was building the world's greatest, biggest bureaucracy. And uh, that's a legacy that I really wanted to go back and look at. Um, And uh, Morgenthau has been derided through history as kind of, you know, he got Roosevelt's liquor during Prohibition. He was the money bags. He was um, uh, the gopher for FDR. And he famously did X, Y, and Z. Sometimes literally when FDR, uh, when he was struck with polio, he would help carry his, his best friend FDR uh, physically carry him. But also through those 12 years, he was the guy that FDR uh, used often when he wanted to float trial balloon, which he did almost every other day. Um, But that really uh, is a central Relationship and that's the one sort of that when I came to this, I had a vague notion of Robert Morgenthau's time as DA. Had a vague notion of his time um, when he was a federal prosecutor for for almost a decade um, under the Kennedys and then under LBJ until Nixon fires him. But I did not. I had no idea ten years ago that there was this generational shift that from uh, 1866 up until the present day. You know, there were Morgenthauers in our midst who wielded such uh, incredible power and influence. So that was really the genesis of it.
0: Well, it's a remarkable achievement. Uh, Kirkus has already given it a starred review, suggesting it's a majestic, authoritative, multi-generational saga. It's out. Is it out next week or the week after, Andrew? Uh,
1: it's out um, on the, sorry, the October 11th.
0: Okay, so it's out in a couple of weeks. Um, but it's an important book. It's gonna be one of the major history books of the year. Congratulations on that, Andrew. Um, thank you so what much. What else should Thanks, people Andrew. be uh, reading? Anything else? I mean, this took you ten years. And if you had time to read anything outside of morgenthau oh that's you. one of the that's
1: one of the that's one of the great joys. I've been uh I've been reading like crazy. Uh uh, I guess I've become a sponge for uh, for anything. Since the book was finished, uh, uh, I've been reading tons. Also, returning as we were saying before, uh, a lot of novels. Um, yeah, I think COVID. We're obviously I don't know if people are uh, interested in COVID books, but we're going to be hit by a lot of them. Um, yeah, people people might be sick of COVID um, nonfiction, but um, yeah, uh, I, I guess my. One of my favorites uh, that I read in the last year, um, actually two, uh, by my friend and colleague, Patrick braddon Keith. I don't know if you've had him on the show. Yeah, but, we've uh, had him on the Save show. Say Nothing He's is fantastic. And also his yeah. book um, uh, on the opioid crisis is Yeah, also that's a major, yeah.
0: major book, the opioid book. Yeah.
1: If you talk about speaking truth to power, um, Patrick would be certainly in the top 10. Mm.
0: Yeah.